another episode of Tales of Tabot, a Genshin lore podcast. Last week, we completed the Aranara Odyssey, and I mean that literally. After we recorded, a bunch of us jumped into Discord to choose Alfonso's fate. We're happy to finally have all this Aranara lore in line, even though we still don't have their name straight. Is there an Armani? We're still not sure. This week, though, we're going to be discussing the Crimson Witch of Flames, Rosaline. Additionally, I want to remind travelers to visit TalesOfDevot.com to see visual representations of the lore mentioned during today's podcast. Your guides have put them together for you to make things a little easier to understand. On our site, you can also find some awesome goodies, including artist spotlights from the community for each episode, wallpapers for download, and ways to check out some of our favorite Genshin merch. Finally, feel free to email us at TalesOfDevotPod at gmail.com to let us know what you thought of this week's episode and what topics you'd like to see in the future. So back to the Crimson Witch, a.k.a. La Senora as well. We'll get into how uh, all these different names we've given for her kind of come into place throughout the episode. But the first time we meet her, I wanted to punch her in the face. She called Venti a rat. did. (laughs) She called him a rodent ruler. I wanted to be like, who's a rodent ruler? You are. Go away. He He's had a, a good rat. response, though. He, like, called her, like, it's better than being vermin something or other. <laughs> Basically, it's better than being a bitch. <laughs> I, mean, I tried so hard to look into why he would call, why she would call him a rodent. Is that, like, what a wisp would have been? And I was, like, trying to come up with some crazy theory as to why she'd call him a rodent. But I think it just, it simply comes down to she was just calling him a name. Isn't there a musical mouse in a fairy tale? Mickey? No, not me. Not me. <laughs> not, 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 not the corporate mouse. <laughs> um, no, I thought there was a mouse that would sing or like play a little flute doot. Chuck E. Cheese. Yes. <laughs> you know, wow. he Venti is definitely more Chuck E. Cheese than Mickey Mouse because yeah. Chucky is totally fucking wasted yeah. <laughs> it's, it's on a on a wednesday afternoon <laughs> already fucking tossing a back another one's empty behind him venti definitely created Chuck E. cheese as his puppet <laughs> <laughs> he's like oh this rodent thinks it's probably not all that bad of an idea yeah exactly <laughs> i'm gonna steal that for my book but no al i think you're right there's like a pied piper right like well, there's a, a oh yeah, guy. the Pied Piper who then all the rats will come come hither. <laughs> I don't know where this knowledge unlocked in my brain. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Venti is the Pied Piper because he p- does play music too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Drunken we just music. follow him, and he takes people st- because they have dead friends. Oh, dead friends. A little bit like Peter Pan in a way. Oh my god, imagine Peter Pan's like, Wendy, you got a dead friend? Get in. He just kills her brothers at that point. <laughs> no, oh my. Okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> dark so, side. <laughs> we meet La Senora and she's trying to take Venti's Gnosis. And I don't actually know if we've ever talked about what a Gnosis is on the podcast. So a quick overview for our travelers who might not know what a Gnosis is. <laughs> know what a Gnosis is. Um, a Gnosis is what gives the Archons. Remember, we have the seven Archons of Tavat, which, uh, you know, Venti, Zhongli are both some examples of them. But they all have these things called Gnosises that give them extra powers and tie them to Celestia. So La Senora is after all these Gnosises, mostly because the Fatui is after those Gnosises, which means that their leader, the Saritza, the Cryo Archon, is also after all these Gnosises. So a lot of people want this shit. And she's there to take Venti's Gnosis, and he kind of just, like, gives it to her, well, in my opinion. It kind of gets a little frozen in his little feet. Yeah, but he could bamf away. Man, her delusion is a lot stronger than his Archon Wind. <laughs> um, apparently i yeah. i really think he he put on quite the act because what would that say about like him willingly giving up that knowledge and and his gnosis like this divine knowledge right assuming that you're think- going on that idea that venti was just like i'm done i don't want to do this anymore so let me give this over maybe i think so i think it really depends on what celestia is doing if it's like possibly the big bad that we're we're thinking the fatui are the big bad and it's actually the thing in the sky and i say this 
mostly because of why are all the other archons just willingly get handing it over, right? So I think maybe he made a show of it, but I think it's because he probably also doesn't like how Celestia has been doing things after Conria and like maybe thinks freedom's at risk. It's like, oh, yeah. we could do whatever. I feel like some of the Archons, you just get the vibe that, I mean, like, especially with Zhang Li, it's almost as if they don't think that they're that valuable anymore or that they're really needed. Mm-hmm. And I think they sort of imply that, you know, the, uh, the Gnosis are, since they, they're what help the uh, Archons resonate with Celestia or whatever. And we all know that these are like the seven Archons who were victorious after the Archon War and sort of like won their place mm-hmm. in, among the god of gods in Celestia, that this somehow is their connection to Celestia. But we also know that the people are sort of rising up throughout all of these stories into that. Mm -hmm. And the gods are becoming less and less needed, especially with everyone getting visions. Mm -hmm. But that's a good point. Nahida, she doesn't even remember when she's, she's questioning if she destroys a Gnosis, if it'll summon the heavenly principle, she's sort of threatening Dottori with that at the oh, end of yeah. the Sumeru quest. We're also kind of wondering, like, how much do the Archons even really know what the Gnosis do? Yeah, it's like Ooh, the question right, yeah. of, does Nahida only not know a lot because she was immediately put in her birdcage? Or does she right. not know a lot because none of them know? It is a good question. Yeah, like, what does the Saritza want with all of these Gnosis? Like, why is she collecting them? She has to know something. And we know that the Fatui are against Celestia as well as the Abyss. So who knows what their end goal is once they have all of these chess pieces, but... Right. And it also bears the question, too, of, like, why does the Saritza want them all? Like, is she going to destroy them all? Is she going to do something to get Celestia's attention because she is against Celestia and the Abyss, too? Mm -hmm. It's like... Or could she, like, overpower Celestia or the Heavenly Principles with them somehow? Yeah, like, is she going to become the god of all gods? I don't know. The way she keeps grabbing all of them, though, I I have a feeling we're going to find out very soon. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I do want to say, though, back to Venti and La Senora... I definitely feel like he gave that Gnosis away. And I think we see that afterwards in his story quests and in some voice lines and stuff with him where he's just kind of like, yeah, like, I don't need this anymore. And Al, I think you're right, too. It goes back to freedom. He's very much like, what is freedom if I'm in control? Yeah. Like, my people don't need this. And I, this brings me back to the whole Venti knows everything and Venti is super powerful. I don't know if it's everything, but he does know a lot. He's hiding them secrets. But anyway, what were your first impressions about La Senora? I mean, I was pretty pissed because she called him a vermin. But... I was so excited. I was like, this game? So I was like, we love Lisa. We love a good girl with big old bitties. And we got a baddie with some titties. Yeah, I was just like diva alert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I immediately loved her. Like step on me, mommy. Yeah, I was not- like, this chick is running things. Clearly, you all love her because she was all of your favorite boss fight. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> how can you not with the the theme? The I could staging. tell you many reasons. <laughs> yeah the main reason is child no i don't really i mean i like doing this in your battle but i don't know i had a lot of mixed feelings about that part in the storyline but we'll get there in a little bit she just feels like a like a villainous drag queen and i love that yes i'm dead first i don't i don't know why i instantly thought that if there was an irl drag queen genshin why would brooklyn heights be la senora but kind of (laughs) accurate i mean yeah i mean she's from canada it's cold there too Mm, (laughs) but who would jimbo play (laughs) oh jimbo I love Jimbo. <laughs> Venti. But, no. <laughs> yes. But anyway, so Senora comes and she takes this away and she calls him a ver- Venti a vermin. He takes Venti's gnosis. And we also get knocked the fuck out at this point. And Barbara comes out and heals us and Venti's gone and we go to find Venti and Venti's like healing himself over at the tree of Vanessa as one does. And that's really our first encounter with La Senora. And at that point, I think for a lot of travelers, you're not as invested in the lore of the game yet. I feel like right after the Monset storyline is when you really get invested. You're not doing any like trials anymore. 
So we kind of forget about her. We're like, oh, yeah, we, we fought this one lady once. That was cool, I guess. We really didn't do much. And then after we finished the Leeway Archon line, she pops up once more. I was very surprised no. to see her in Leeway. So was Child. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is mom doing here? Yeah, yeah and- we find out that she was sort of the Saritza's liaison with Zhang Li with the contract that he made with the Saritza that if she sent Child in to create a bunch of chaos and test the people of Liyue, that he would hand over his Gnosis willingly. So he actually canonically did just give it over as part of a deal. Which annoys me. Also, and I won't talk too much about it because I know we've mentioned it during the Child episode, but imagine how much that must have hurt for Child to be like, oh... There was a babysitter here the whole time. No one actually trusted me to get the fucking gnosis. I have no sympathy. Right. I have no sympathy. I have some sympathy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe like a sprinkle of salty sympathy, but like my guy, what if Zhang Li like had legit died? Had le- like was some in Timbuk fucking too? And you decided to bring Osayath out or Sile, I mean. <laughs> and he just destroys me with Harbor. He had no idea. He could assume, and he, he made knew. a good educated guess. He's but smart. He's an intelligent boy. He could have just, he could have had a giant wipeout of a full city. Nah, he knew what yeah. he was doing. I like the character of, of, I like Child and I like his story and stuff like that. But at that point, he had just tried to kill us. He had just tried to kill all of Leeway. I was like, haha, sucks to suck, buddy. Exactly. Yeah, I think yeah. it's like a looking back at it thing. I'm like, damn, that must have hurt. Especially when we later see Child just like wandering around in Azuma. <laughs> yeah. I but, guess you also yeah. have to kind of look at it and go, that's, I mean, like they're, they're vicious people. <laughs> they're yeah. not. They're really not nice to anybody. Well, they've got they have a goal and they know how to do that very well. (laughs) That does not mean they want to play nice. Well, child aside, uh, I think I forget who one of you said it already, but we find out that La Senora was really the one behind getting Strongly's Gnosis, and this bitch walks out with another Gnosis. Just that's Uh she just tucks it into her breastplate. And saunters off to her boat. Like a fucking lipstick going down those titties. Like, just... <laughs> bye-bye. Just like, I'm just gonna stick that. Like, she she can't put it inside her chest like Zhang Li. <laughs> but she can put it, you know, in her chest, if you know what I mean. <laughs> it's like, and then when she gets back to the Fatui HQ, she just pulls it out like, a, like the lipsticks from All Stars. And it just reads Zhang Li. And she just opens it in just a slight swipe. Like, no, perfection. And the Saritz is like, beautiful. Just as I would have done it. Exactly. I also just like how, how his child is that he's like, I'm not going on the boat with you. I'm not going back. Me, 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 me. Yeah, yeah. He, I know, it's he, a little whiny baby it <laughs> like, is how dare you it's whiny baby but it's also like i need time to breathe yeah bitch. <laughs> but um yeah so i think then the moment traveler is like what the fuck is going on here <laughs> yeah. like i i remember even like I, i'm sure traveler traveler not even me was thinking that but i can remember playing it and being like where did she come from? Why is she fucking up everybody's shit? Like, it's not just us. It's child, too. Like, you're not even playing fair with your own team right now. It made me a little more suspicious of her than I think I originally was. Like, I felt like she had, like, ulterior motives. That would that mm. would make sense because several of the other Fatui's, when we get into the, in, to the midnight, what's it called? Midnight Lotso. A winter's uh, night lots of winter's night lots of things. Which you. uh for travelers who don't know is the Fatui trailer showcasing spoiler alert La Senora's funeral that we'll talk about in a little bit. It does seem though several different Fatui harbingers have s- not side hustles, but being a harbinger is their side hustle. One of them is oh, a banker, yeah, sure. the other one is like probably a politician, another one is like a puppeteer. One of them has to run Monopoly. Exactly, with that giant monocle. Yeah, it, may, it definitely made it seem like 
she's like the field commander or something like she's the one going out and making sure that all the underlings out in the field are doing their jobs right exactly it makes it it seems more like she the knave child and even scara were more in the field doing shit while piero and puccinello and uh pentalone right yeah, Pantalone. Yes. They're more of like, they make the Fatui Harbingers function. So they're money, their organization, the, you know, possibility, maybe even diplomatic shit going on, probably. Murderer. Stuff like that. Child's Tri- role is just murderer in this scenario. Well, he, <laughs> if, he's, if he's kind of like this, because <laughs> he is only the 11th, he is baby. I mean, it would make sense, like, okay, you're going to do all the grunt work for us. You're going to be training all these little Fatui missionary boys and girls and he, they, thems, and he, they's all up in the mountains of Leeway. And then you are going to go and maybe do some recon in an Azuma for a certain Gnosis. But just kidding. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, so you have La Senora, and I feel like Traveler and Paimon are kind of like, all right, this bitch again, let's get out of here. <laughs> and they go to start their journey over to Inazuma, which is where Senora comes back. And uh, we, yeah. <laughs> besides just the plot with Senora, we find out that she also kept us in Rito for a while, which for our travelers who might not remember, when you first start the Inazuma storyline, we get stuck in Rito. We can't leave. Toma's trying to like finagle some paperwork for us with his skills. And Signora had a big hand in that, from what I remember. She was mm-hmm. fucking with yeah. us right from the start. She plotted with the head of the Kanjo Commission, Haragi Shinsuke, and actually was working with him to keep us delayed as long as possible. And was that to make sure that everything with the delusion factory was like all set? Yeah, even though she ended up, I guess, handing that off to Scaramouche. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the thought is that she was actually pulling some of the strings on the delusion factory production line and everything. And also, I'm sure she was trying to get the Raiden's Gnosis as well. Though Scar beat her to it. I, I don't know if Scar didn't beat her to it. Oh, yeah, no. he did. He, he, well, he did. He was meeting Yai and no, no, Yai yeah. brought it to him. Yeah. So, like, I don't know how much of a, a beat, beat you, not on a poo poo that is, but. <laughs> Tip, what were you going to say? Um, oh, I was just going to bring up the funny part of B saying that she was pulling the strings and it was Scaramouche and the puppet. And <laughs> it was going to be funny, but now it's not. So never mind. <laughs> oh, I'm fucking dead. No. So yeah. So Senora keeps us from doing that. And then we don't know this at first in the storyline, but we do find out later on when we do Scaramouche's Archon line that she had this hand in the delusion factory like B just mentioned and her and Scara have like a kind of interesting conversation where Scaramouche is kind of like Ugh, just don't die it basically is what he says he like runs at her and is like just make sure you stay alive she didn't really succeed at that no <laughs> not at all failed which i also thought was interesting uh with scaramouche i feel like he almost had a soft spot for senora well not anymore i mean you know he hates it when people close to him die yeah i wonder (laughs) how that affected him he never really uh he never talks about like the death of senora he mentions a little bit about like child and senora kind of being like the pains in his ass but that's kind of like sound like he was talking about his siblings yeah, <laughs> like he would really, he would have been affected in some way of of her dying. Yeah, I think Wonder has a voice line about her, but it's not really much. It's just like, well, she's gone, so I don't think about her anymore. <laughs> that, that's cold. Ah, denial. <laughs> like, like, old news. Next. <laughs> like, but, thank you. Bye-bye. So outside of the Delusion Factory, we know we do our whole thing in the Delusion Factory. And like Al mentioned, Skara Mush makes a deal with Yai Miko to save our lives in the Delusion Factory and gives the Gnosis to Skara, who then disappears to never be seen again until Sumeru. <laughs> but eventually, after our training with Yai Miko, we learn all this information about how the Shogun doesn't have the Gnosis anymore or technically never had the Gnosis. 
Well, she gave it to Yai when she went to the plane of Euphemia long mm-hmm. ago for like safekeeping. So she had it at one point and then handed it off to Yai. Yeah, so Yai Miko's like, I've had this thing for hundreds of years and it's not doing anything. So I don't mind yeah. handing it over. Mm-hmm. No one's using it. it. Here you go. I, collected dust. I feel like all of us wanted to like smack Yai Miko in that moment. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no. I mean, I really do think that regardless of had we been there, she would have just given it to him. I think that's what they were meeting for. Do you really? Yeah. Yeah. Because like she just so happened to have the Gnosis on her person. That seems a bit too like, mm. because it was hiding. It was in the shrine. It protected at the shrine for however many years after a gave it up. Yai Miko would know more about Skara's powers than anyone besides yeah. A. So maybe yeah, yeah maybe true. she was like we just need to get him out of here because he's dangerous AF. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess I always kind of thought that Yai Miko and I could be very wrong. But I always thought that Yaimiko just kind of had an eye on everything going on in Inazuma and that she has eyes and ears everywhere. So I assume that she probably had heard from someone about what was going on. That's kind of why I think she might be working a little bit with Ayato too with the Shumatsuban. Because I'm sure that if she was like, I'll help you if you help me, he would share the information with her. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, I, that's kind of how... some good boba. That's kind of how I saw it was that like, Yai got some info from Ayato and was like, ah, oh, shit. And she, <laughs> from there, was like, I gotta go deal with this. I'll be back. <laughs> yeah, it could it could definitely be that. I, we also don't know, I, and I say this mainly because I don't know Yai's motives other than protecting Inazuma, which protects A. And maybe she's more worried about the Abyss and everything that is the Abyss. Like, all these Rift Hounds are coming around. Maybe she's more concerned about the Abyss than the Fatui and thinks maybe that helping the Fatui in that way will help reduce the abyss problem? I don't know. I'm pulling that out of my ass. No, but she totally could. Mm. I mean, I think that Yaimiko is trying to, like you said, not only protect Inazuma, but protect the Shogun and protect her, you know, girlfriend, bestie, whatever you consider them in the, the end. Wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Waifu. Yeah. I mean, look at all that, that Yaimiko actually does, even b- with basically manipulating us in a way there, too. And, you know, a lot of that, even that fight kind of comes down to Yaimiko kind of more so trying to get the Shogun to kind of just wake up and be like, uh, could we do something? <laughs> like, you want to maybe step out of here a little bit? Like, she's got different motives than anybody else, I think, um, and really starts to play people against each other. She's like, your people fucking need you. Come out of this fucking hole. Yeah. Like, let's go. Right. Chop, chop, motherfucker. But from there, after Yaimiko, you know, saves our life, we <laughs> go to the Shogun via Yaimiko's suggestion. You know, she's like, y'all need to go figure this out. Here's this. It'll get you in. And if you need anything, holler. I'll be there. I'm like, okay. And we go there. When we show up to the Ryan Shogun's place, <laughs> who's fucking there but la senora our chronic enemy at this point she is just everywhere that we go and we are basically pitted against senora in a battle to the death whoever wins this battle will get to live and whoever loses will die which honestly was horrifying yes like, and it was a little odd too that it wasn't like you we weren't fighting each other to the death we were fighting each other till there was a winner so Raiden could kill us with the him the the big long name thing of the titty sword that I can't yeah. ever say titty correctly. Sword. The titty sword. I honestly I think that that should just be its name. <laughs> titty yeah, the titty sword attack. <laughs> yes. The titty sword attack. I would gladly die by the titty sword. I have one of those swords. You have a titty sword. I have a titty sword, but it's um it actually fits in my tits because it's an envelope opener. <laughs> <laughs> oh my and god i'm like just waiting to pull it out at applebee's one day that's, that's your gnosis Why applebee's you should do that at chili's well tiff has always been threatening to throw pennies at me at applebee's yes. so i feel like I, <laughs> she needs some kind of you know protection what? against yes. pennies <laughs> because on because when 
because on Twitch, when you stream, you can give bits and the bits oh. are equal. So she was like, I'm not going to give you bits. I'm just going to throw my pennies at you in person. <laughs> you just always happen to be at Applebee's. <laughs> yeah, at Applebee's. At anywho. So we end up fighting Senora. And this is your guys' favorite boss battle. So maybe you guys yeah. should tell people why they shouldn't like child and like Senora instead. <sighs> Because she goes, ha, 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 you're trembling. And it just sounds so funny. It it's, makes me laugh every time. And it's, it's, it's fight delightful. of three phases. It's delightful. It's it is dazzling. Sexy. It is challenging. It's camp. Definitely camp. It's also very tragic. The music and like La Senora's theme in oh, this yeah, that music fight is scene epic. is epic. It's probably my favorite in any fucking boss fight. Also, how much do we love the she's the Crimson Witch of Flame? And then when you're fighting her, she's screaming at you. Like, how dare you call me a witch? I <laughs> am not a witch! And everyone's just kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> what is happening? Like, I thought... Nobody called you a witch, bitch. Yeah, is that isn't that your title? I was told to tell you, call you that. I don't get it. <laughs> and that was the point. I'm like, I need to look more into this lore. Yeah, that like, I, hold up. <laughs> I, I will say that is definitely what gives us like some inklings about Signora being more than just a harbinger. That's really the first time we mm. think that maybe she has some deeper lore into the entire game, which she does. But before we get into that, we win this battle to the death, and the Raiden Shogun puppet kill Senora after some groveling yes and she turns to ash which <laughs> She's is like, fitting she tried to pull out the diplomatic immunity card like oh, it yeah. mattered oh my god i forgot about that this is the el presidente of this nation and you're gonna i have <laughs> diplomatic immunity i'm the fucking god yeah. here so shut up and she just worked yeah. her. I, that, I forgot that she was trying to be like diplomatic immunity and i think was that also the point when raiden and a figured out that the fatui were behind a lot of the shit that was happening in Whoa. one of the reasons for the war yeah. don't mm-hmm. we find that out with kujo sarah right? yeah yeah right i'm thinking too far ahead well we find we find out right before the senora fight that okay. kasara finds out that her hero is in cahoots with the fatui and that that's why you know all this vision hunt decree and all this other stuff is happening so remember sara runs off to the inazuma capital first and you're seeing all these guards beat up by her and then we get to uh the inside and see that senora has defeated sara oh yes 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 so i'm sure i'm sure sara went there and you know confronted the shogun and then senora Mm -hmm. just happened to be there and she probably confronted both of them and was like beat down i guess I remember that. I remember thinking she was dead at first, and I was like, but she's a playable character! (laughs) Yeah. I remember being very shocked at the death of La Senora, because I feel like in the game, it was the first big death that we had. And now people are just dying left and right, but yes yeah what was the first also how oh, dare you that was the second death we had tepe well oh you know. yeah i mean but he was still yeah. part of in that same quest line so it was very dark it was how very rude <laughs> yeah we thought that was dark then we fucking went to sumeru but also tepe <laughs> tepe you know got you know he he died of old age basically but it's the first time that we see someone get murdered yeah because we also did have the dead guy in front of the upside down statue within mm. the dane's leaf so it was really seeing like someone who was of yeah. character like, oh yeah she wasn't a yeah, playable just... character but yeah and who who was immensely powerful when she gets panicked <laughs> yeah. as the write-in is walking closer and closer to her and she starts like backing up <laughs> yes. and of course she's like <laughs> you wouldn't dare and then she's like oh my god she's actually gonna kill me and she like freaks out you're kind of as in the audience you're like freaking out with her because even though even though she's a villain like don't weren't you kind of on her side no (laughs) i was No, I didn't think she was gonna die. Yeah, we didn't want her to like necessarily die because like with child, we I mean we knew there was gonna be like 
a, a redemption. And I was kind of hoping that this moment would have like enacted or started the redemption of Senora. And like it technically right. was because she died. I was gonna say redemption and death. The redemption and death. I didn't see any redemption kind of coming her way. I just really yeah. liked her. And I thought she was hot and wanted her to stick around. Well, that's kind of it. I gotta say, y'all make fun of me for liking child as much as I do. And then y'all are like, I just love Senora. I just love <laughs> but her. But I love Senora and I say she is an evil bitch I said child you say was... you love child and you're like but he's actually really nice <laughs> I don't say that child's nice she um, just read you I just... <laughs> oh, you wrote you oh my god I don't oh my god um, I will say though I don't say that about child anyway uh, I was so shocked about the senora death and that's also when we realized that she has pyro and cryo powers. Because at this point, we've only seen her use cryo powers on Venti. So I always assumed yeah. that she had like a cryo vision or something. And then we find out that it's actually a delusion. Yeah, and it's a cryo delusion that she has. I think it's really unfortunate that they waited until her death to really put out all these plot points <laughs> for her. Yeah. Because that's when you really go back and you finally figure out what the fuck is going on. Because when she calls herself the Crimson Witch of Flames and then is like, but don't call me a witch all at the same time. Yeah. That's the first time it clicked in my head and was like, wait, that's an artifact set. Mm-hmm. Yep. What? And that's kind of what made me go back and be like, all right, now she's definitely something more than just a harbinger. Yeah. Yeah, I think she can be like a fun gateway for some people into exploring lore. Mm-hmm. especially when using artifact sets as lore because a lot of people don't think of the artifact sets as telling stories about mm-hmm. the past of of Tevat, even though a lot of them tell a lot of information yeah and if, if you haven't listened to our viridescent venomer episode definitely go back and listen to that one because i mean i even myself just i learned so much from you know doing the research on that and i was amazed by how much is simply behind an artifact i mean at least with senora we we already know like we know her as a part of the game but once you start digging into her past she's you know this entirely different person beforehand and someone you'd actually really like yeah like oh you know what's interesting to me is that rosaline is almost like the ajax of senora yeah, like she. I feel mm-hmm. like it's very interesting that her and child both have these like good they used to be normal personas people. that mm-hmm. yeah, and then tragedy bestruck them, and tragedy that they really had no say in. You right. know, it's not like yeah. they got sick or something. Well, it's stuff that happened to them. It's not. Like, I mean, eh, she she had a little bit into it. Not really. <laughs> her lover died. Yeah, but she also then decided to go down the route she did. Yeah, yeah, I will. Yeah, I, I don't blame the bitch. I get I it. I kind of felt like she was trying to like kill herself, and then Piero was like, "No, <laughs> why would you waste your talent? Come here." Well, may, can we go into her? Yeah, yeah, jump into, into her it. backstory at this point. Um, I think it's probably yes. a good spot to kind of give people a little bit into that. Absolutely. So, Rosaline lived back in Mondstadt before the cataclysm. <laughs> the cataclysm. The cataclysm. <laughs> It will say it correct at some point in my life. So she lived back in Mondstadt. She was a very happy-go-lucky girl. She used to sing around the square, and she had a boyfriend named Rostam um, that she was totally in love with. Um, it was her time to go to the Sumeru Academia. So she was, you know, they said were saying their goodbyes. He gave her a hydro timepiece to remember him by and to actually measure the amount of time that they were going to be apart. Like this is how much they were like really freaking in love, like very mushy and sappy and stuff. So um, so she goes off to the academia, watching her little timepiece, making sure when she can go back to go back to her Rostam. And uh then the cataclysm happens and Shit don't go well for Rostam. Oh, no, 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 no. He ends up dying in an expedition that they were taking to back to Conria. So he got killed by a bunch of monsters and stuff, which we can go back into Rostam's little... He has a whole backstory as well. But um, at this point, just to kind of keep in line with, with Rosaline, she comes back from Sumeru when her timepiece tells her to, basically, and finds out that Rostam's dead. And she is not happy about that. Which mm-hmm. she, she goes all dark phoenix yes Mm -hmm. totally you know she loses her mind basically and she uses the art of liquid fire to transform her entire body into a living flame and that's when she becomes known as the crimson witch flame and uh she like burnt like she's burnt 
and like scarred and kind of like disfigured and stuff. And she's basically just going around killing all the monsters and demons and everything that she sees. You know who that sounds like? Viri. <laughs> yes. It's very much like Viri. And she has a little bit of a parallel that we'll get to in a few minutes. <laughs> with Mary. <laughs> but so now she starts going around like doing all this and one of the coolest like, back to the cool parts about the artifact set is the hat in the crimson witch of flames artifact set it's actually said to be this large hat that she wears basically to keep her focused on killing her little monsters but also so she can't see her reflection Aww. because she's so burnt and scarred Aww. but it's really just neat how those little those little tidbits kind of get thrown in there but yeah, so she wanders around for a very long time and lose with all of this, she's losing her 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 memories. But things are she's not becoming like this human anymore. Like Fiend said, she's very much like Viri in that sense where she's not really a person. Right. She's like losing her humanity mm -hmm. as the fire eats away at not just her body, but like even like the inside of her. Like her soul. Mm -hmm. Her soul. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, too. It sounds like the Sealies. Yes. Mm. Oh, there's a lot of parallel stories in this in this overall story. <laughs> but yeah, she gets... Piero finds her at her worst. Who's um, Piero again for our travelers? <laughs> Harbinger number uno. Yes. For travelers who may not remember, Piero is the original Fatui Harbinger. He is the OG. He finds her and brings her into the Fatui. She's uh, named the eighth of the eleven the two harbingers and she's given the name la senora uh so she's no longer rosaline although in just to kind of skip even to the winter nights lotso that we mentioned before they do refer to her back at, with her last name which is interesting or even as rosaline because mm -hmm. it's like she's senora why you gotta everybody's messing up everybody's names yeah they all have so many names yeah because she was also she has a code name too which is the fair lady mm -hmm. it's like why, why? <laughs> but yeah he he gives her a cryo delusion that we'd later see her use she uh and it's the reason why is to actually suppress her flames so they kind of work together so that's even helps explain a little bit more of why when we do fight her we are fighting both sides because we we're fighting the crimson witch and her delusion part but people believe that the delusion also helped her forget so like at this point yeah she don't remember Bonstadt. She don't remember Rostam. She don't remember nothing. She's just like evil, which is interesting. Yeah, and the if you want to read more into like the story that actually describes Piero meeting her and convincing her to join the Fatui, there's a little bit of it in the Pale Flame artifact set, which is actually Piero's artifact set, and a lot of those pieces talk about his recruitment of different Fatui members like her and Dottore and um, I think some other ones. But one of the things that I thought was interesting is that in that description of the Pale Flame artifact that tells the story of Rosaline coming into the Fatui, it confirms that the Fatui are working against both the gods and the Abyss Order. Because I know we've sort of brought that up before, but that sort of flat out confirms it. Mm -hmm. Also, if you look at the level up material molten moment which is a, a reward you can get from the weekly senora boss fight mm -hmm. it says that when this recruitment was happening that piero spoke of a quote pure spotless everlasting realm which is also what she saw she says that she saw in the delusion that he showed her and that it's at the end of the horizon of her majesty's dreams and i don't know if that's just trying to be like poetic talk but i thought that was an interesting way to describe something a pure spotless everlasting realm so that's sort of some kind of ideal that they're that the fatui seem to be fighting for right so I thought that was really weird. But yeah, also just what Tiff was saying earlier is that I was also surprised to find out that this delusion really is suppressing the fire, the liquid fire thing that she unleashed after Rostam died. And during the boss fight, she's basically deactivating her delusion and it's exploding, you know, all over. And I think that's why she screams, how dare you call me a witch or whatever, because suddenly like all of those memories are coming back and she's sort of re-enraged by everything and is, is having memories of Rostam and, and everything like that. And we know that, you know, when she unleashed this power originally during the Cataclysm, she was just trying to kill all the monsters to get revenge. But as we know, it would be terrifying. So <laughs> yeah. humans were like terrified of her and like trying yeah. to 
to like, get away oh, from her. Shit. Oh <laughs> shit! Shit! Yeah, yeah. I'd lock up the door if I saw her coming around. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, fuck. and they uh, part of the ar- artifact set too is the uh, is that timepiece that Rostam gave her, and it changes from hydro over to pyro, but it's said to uh, be made of the molten souls of evil spirits, which that. I think would be the best Christmas gift anybody could give me. So <laughs> stop Just it. Saying. <laughs> oh also that that pale flame set um it also talk tells of detore's recruitment and it makes it sound very much like detore is the one who invented delusions which would make a lot of sense Crazy um bastard. and that that's what got him that thrown guy. out of the academia in sumeru i hate him. oh <laughs> oh that's cool and also i didn't realize that delusions had been around for that long yeah mm-hmm. i mean i guess that there had to be like some versions of it you know he was like a kid making it and mm-hmm you know had to kind of fine-tune it yeah it's interesting like what inspired him to make it too probably because he couldn't get a vision and he was jealous i mean that seems to be most people honestly (laughs) Mm -hmm. but i i also want to take a second to you you know you were saying like how dare you call me a witch and everything is her thing and i love that you point out the fact that she is probably reliving those memories of like when everyone saw her as a monster but it's interesting because witches don't necessarily have a bad reputation in Genshin, from yeah. what we know. You know, in Tavat, we mm-hmm. do have the Hexen Circle, mm-hmm. and we have Lisa, and we have these, like, well-respected witches. And while I know that some of them probably weren't around during the Cataclysm and during the time of her probably being accused of being a witch the first time, but Alice and Gold were most likely around back then. So I'm curious as to why she has such a bad impression of witches as well like what was going on back then i would think that it was because she was a scholar you know Mm -hmm. kind of like that science versus mythological mystic kind of stuff like i think that you can even equate to in right in our world of you know there's you'll see a lot of scientific people that try to will won't usually go toward divination and that side of mm. of things and i would kind of imagine that it's that part of her that's kind of like no i ain't a bit, i'm not a witch i'm you well know, she went science. she went to sumeru as an apprentice right to study pyromagic so yeah maybe she just yeah yeah. that's true no but i didn't know that i just knew that she went to the academia i didn't know that it was specific for pyro magic i guess that makes sense that's why she knew the art of right of flames what darshan is that the red one i don't know i don't know my darshans well enough yet (laughs) beanie's like where can i sign up for this Like I would like to be the new Crimson Witch. Thank God. No, I'm just curious because it, it almost feels like. What if, what if we found out that when she went to Sumeru, she was actually Alice's apprentice? Ooh. Maybe that's why she doesn't like witches. Maybe like for some reason, maybe Rosalind wanted to go to Conria, knowing that Rostin was going to go to Conria. And Alice is like, nah, you can't. And maybe she blames her for not being able to go to help save i don't know i'm pull i pulled it out of my ass well i don't think as always i don't think <laughs> she knew anything going on yeah I don't oh, think so no. oh right because when she came back then mm-hmm. she finds out you're right uh, well i don't know maybe I mean, like she knows that her. <laughs> she knows rostam is a part of the knights of favonius and that he would obviously have to do something but she doesn't know that you know, he even left Mondstadt, really. Well, mm-hmm. they didn't leave Mondstadt even, did The battle happened in the Mondstadt area, didn't it? Um, They say mm-hmm. that there was, well, I guess it all depends where the heck is Conria, because they, mm-hmm. they say that it's an expedition to Conria. Well, it and was, it was an expedition. on the way to Conria that... Yeah, that, um, it says yeah. that he died in, in the valley, wherever the valley is. And it was during Devalent's fight with Durin that he mm-hmm. died. So I just, uh, I always sort of pictured it at the base of Dragonspine, but I don't know mm. if that's that considered work? the valley. We know Conria, <laughs> like the closest nation to Conria is supposedly Sumeru. Or at so, least the, yeah, but like, I still believe that little entrance rando thing out in the yeah. water. I'm curious if Conria is really big and there are multiple entrances, just kind of similar to how there are multiple entrances to the abyss. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the valley might be the Wyrmrest Valley. It's actually in Dragonspine. Wormrest and, Valley? Yeah. 
yes, warm rest valley. Please ignore me. And that's actually where Devalin's bones are. So that would make a lot of oh, sense. I feel like I need to go to Dragonspine now. Like, is there like a little bitty piece of Rasta move sitting over there? Oh my God. I mean, there could be that we just have never noticed before. Uh, I also want to take a second too to just talk about back to the Darshans. And I won't talk too much about it because I, I don't want to spoil too much on Travelers. I know that this was something that was only recently brought up in the game, but we do find out that there's like an exiled Darshan. And I'll leave it at that. I'm just curious if maybe Signora, I don't know the timeline yet of when this Darshan was exiled because I haven't gotten that far in the quest line, but I'm curious if maybe she had something to do with (laughs) her turning into a monster. Or Mm. the Darshan being exiled. Can we get a little bit more into the past with Rostam and the other cast of characters that were (laughs) around her at the time? Because I feel it puts her rage, I guess, into perspective a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So we want to talk a little bit about her life in Mondstadt and what it was like before she went to study at the Academia. Yeah, and isn't it so wild to think about Senora as this maiden who would just hang out in the Mondstadt town square singing beautiful songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what the hell? All innocent and sweet and shit. And you're like, she what? just a bard, a sweet little songbird. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Rostam falls madly in love with her. And we find out that through the, through the lore and these different artifact sets that Rostam was actually the assistant of the Grand Master of Mostat at the time, whose name was Arundalin. And Arundalin, who's nicknamed the Lion of the Light, and his assistant Rostam, who was nicknamed the Wolf Pub. They both grew up together and were best friends. Um, and you can look at this, the stories about their childhood and friendship via the Braveheart artifact set, which actually tells really cute stories about them running around as little kids, like Aww. pretending to be heroes mm-hmm. with stick swords and stuff. Adorable. Yeah. Is this when um they follow the Sealy? Yeah, I believe they follow a Sealy and they find treasure. Uh, and the in the treasure chest only has that one flower, which is oh, yeah. part of the set. The, they find the, like a, the yellow this yellow flower, yeah. and then later mm-hmm. it's the only thing that didn't age or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so Arundelin, um, he came from this long line of knights while Rostam was born to a peasant family. And they grow up together wanting to be heroes. And they really are big fans of Vanessa and people that were sort of in her circle. Um, because remember, that would have been 500 years before their time, mm-hmm. which would be a thousand years ago from modern to that, I guess. And um, so, yeah, Arundalin eventually becomes a grandmaster. Rostam is his assistant. And Rostam's personality is described a lot in these different sets where they make it very clear that Rostam is extremely extremely serious person he's always kind of like in a bad mood with the furrowed brow and he's all about work and the only thing that can distract him from his work as a knight is rosaline they also paint a picture of Arundelin's personality where he's more of kind of a chill character and likes to laugh and is always trying to sort of lighten Rostam up. So there's this these cast of characters. Also, Rostam ended up also mentoring this white knight who would later turn into the Bloodstained Knight. And if you would like to hear more about that, please go back and listen to our Viridescent Venerer episode because we get all up in the Bloodstained Knight business. Um <laughs> But yeah, so you have this whole cast of characters, and I know we've sort of speculated about the Genshin Impact anime being a prequel, and if it is, part of me wants it to be during the Archon War, but another part of me wants it to be during the Cataclysm. And if they they could do it either way, but if they did do one that's set during the Cataclysm, I feel like these would all be main characters in it. Right, yeah. that's very true. I think true. so. Especially because they they in there's so much of the artifacts that it just seems like it would make sense. Yeah, and it's so detrimental to the lore and current day Mondstadt that we know. Like Arundelin, he actually didn't have a vision. Um, he was just super strong naturally and did a lot of training. But he and Rostam, I guess Rostam did have a vision, but they used Favonius blade work. Like Rostam actually originated Favonius blade work. And even though a lot of the the different 
techniques of it have been lost to time, including Arundelins, which was badass because he was able to wield a longsword and a greatsword at the same time because he was that <laughs> strong. He must have been like a big... They don't want us to have that. I, yeah. I want that so bad. You have no fucking idea of how bad I want that. I want to be slinging. I, I, I just, mean, Mika I, can hold a crossbow and a polearm at the same time. Hoyoverse <laughs> wrote that lore and then quickly was like, oh man, I don't want to program that. And it was lost to time. Until gave it up and it died. And it, it, it so well in Elden Ring. Let me have it. Like, ah, oh, god damn it. Oh, lost to time. <laughs> <laughs> but also, Arundelin... I just picture him as this big meathead. Yeah. Like if he were transported to our world, he would be like going to the gym every day. Yes, yes. <laughs> For He'd sure. Be swole. <laughs> anyway, sure. Rostam creates the Favonius blade work. And then also Arundelin, there's a weapon that you can get called Ferris Shadow. Mm-hmm. And that was Arundelin's sword. And it was actually a replica of a sword that was used by the Knight of Boreas named Ravenwood, who was someone that was around during the time of Vanessa. Like Ravenwood was, a, I guess, a knight that supported Vanessa during the rebellion against the aristocracy. Oh, that's awesome. So that's just like some fun little tidbits about. you know these characters and the whole sort of well-rounded life that they were living back then um also rostam's artifact set which is defender's will and part of the elegy for the end weapon which is venti's bow they have descriptions that make it very clear that rosalima is the only thing that could ever distract rostam from his work Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i just had one question you know brandon you mentioned a second ago that if they were to do a season of the anime that was based around Mm -hmm. the cataclysm that these people would be the main characters don't you find it interesting that we don't really know much about what other non-archons were doing during the cataclysm in the other nations like, we know the sages, like, win and grab the heat up. But besides that, we really don't have a lot of main characters, well, right? I feel like we, no, I feel like we do because in Liyue, it would be, wouldn't it be, like, the Gwaili Plains people? Like, but, that whole group? But do we know what they did? Like, we, didn't, we haven't heard any of it, really, have we? Like, we know that eventually the Adepti were hired on and stuff like that, but... Right. We don't really know a lot. And in Inazuma, we know about three people, right? The one friend of theirs, of the Ryan Shogun and a- Makoto and A's, that mm-hmm. they left the fight and died. Right. And then we know what A and the Shogun did, but we don't know what a lot of other people are. So it it makes it very interesting that they have put so much information into these Bonsat characters. Like, why are they so main character energy? We definitely get more insight, I feel like, into their emotions and Mm -hmm. their interconnectedness as just human beings. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. I didn't want to interrupt. No, 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 you're fine. Um, The only other thing I was going to bring up was a very interesting description in the bell weapon, which is a claymore, the claymore with a clock on it. I hate that weapon. Oh, no. I and, always pull it. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> oh. I, I never want it. <clears throat> I think it's so cool looking. But anyway, yeah. so the bell was actually created by this character named Cruise Lead. Cruise Lead? Cruise Lead? I'm not sure if I'm saying pronouncing hmm. it correctly. I'm going to say, I'm going to go with Cruise Lead. But he was someone that was a member of the Lawrence clan oh. and turned his back on the Lawrence clan during the aristocracy and then, of mm. course, was disowned by them. And he ended up joining the Wanderer's Troop, which is another artifact set. But the Wanderer's Troop was an actual group of people back then this is like around the Vanessa time. Right, and uh, right. the Wanderers troop, they all actually staged a rebellion to overthrow the aristocracy, but they failed. So this happened, I guess, right before Vanessa succeeded. Okay. And so this cruise lead person was one of the Wanderers troop. He later ended up helping Vanessa when she did take control. But rumor has it that cruise lead actually had a secret society that he Aww. developed to help take over or to to help you know undercut the aristocracy and to gain control and there's a rumor that the secret society kept going after mm-hmm. the aristocracy fell and that it kept going all the way till the time of Rostam and that Rostam was actually running that secret society behind Arundelin's back because Arundelin was very much the figurehead and Rostam was the one that would do things in the shadows um yeah. like whatever needed to be done he was very much like the if Toma. I need- 
<laughs> he's very much like a D. Luke, like Dark Knight hero type. He would even actually wear like a disguise and go out at night and get things done that needed to get done that a knight couldn't necessarily do. So many Batmans. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so that's really interesting because obviously that makes me think that this secret society is still around and that that is the spy network that D. Luke is a part of. Oh. Do you, do you also think that that relates back to, and I'm going way back to when we talked about the Lawrence clan. Remember how we originally talked about there were like three groups that formed like new Monsat and mm-hmm. the one group kind of just like went MIA and they were like the group that really worshipped Istaroth. Do you yeah. think that could be them? Like they kind of just went underground. As the but that one, could be who? The Wanderers troop. Like oh, they were that um, like third. I need to look more into them because I've, I want to say the Wanderers Troop were just taken from different places. Okay. It was just like about their ideal of getting rid of the aristocracy, but I'm not 100% sure. It's something I need to research more. That would be pretty cool, though, if it's, you know, it's like a possibility. Cause we do know that that third, like, family of people kind of disappeared. All I know is that they used music as part of their fighting style because they're the same. One of one of the members of the Wanderers Troop, I believe, is who made the flute sword. Oh, Ooh. interesting. Okay. I got- when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I can tell you, like, they put a lot of thought into these freaking yeah, weapons they really... and artifacts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One thing just to also add into with Rostam and Arundalin, um, Arundalin, when Rostam died, Arundalin was distraught. He actually quit being the Grand Master. He mm-hmm. gave up everything. He was just like, this is it. He went back to their childhood town and their home and like went through like kind of like their belongings of all these things that they used to you know play as and stuff and that yellow flower that we mentioned a little while ago was the only thing that still stood basically of their their background but like he was gone after it it really says a lot about rostam's influence on all these people because it's like his girlfriend went (laughs) murderous crazy turning into living flame his best friend put down his sword after being the grand master of the whole nation and also you know the person that he mentored uh, the bloodstained knight, like he becomes the bloodstained knight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which, which I, I don't mean, think we can really say that he. Yeah, that that's was... not necessarily because of yeah. of Rostam, but I'm sure if Rostam had been around, he could have prevented that. Yeah. yeah, very true. In the the elegy for the end, that that bow, that the venti bow, one of the quotes from Rostam is, "She is abroad studying, so she should be well. But ah, how I wish I could hear her sing again. At least Arundelin and Roland are all right when she returns." this calamity should should have blown over and that is where we i think it's the first time first place that we hear that the white knight is roland who is Mm -hmm. then turns into the bloodstained knight after his brother is stuck in the cataclysm fights as well you know it's Mm -hmm. it you're you guys are right it is such a showcasing of how important rostam was to people and al before when we were kind of talking about some things ahead of the recording tonight, you had brought up a similarity between Kaya, Diluc, and Jean. And I want you to go into that because right now all I'm imagining is Jean losing her shit because like Diluc dies and then Kaya <laughs> like <laughs> putting down his sword and giving up. Oh, I think, I think in a way, I would actually put Kaya in the La Senora position because Jean, in a way, is more of. Arugula, Arudalin. Arugula? Arugula. Is how I remember how to say his name. I want him <laughs> to be. She's can... very Arugula. She's like just like a fun, flirty salad. Yeah. Oh my God. Stop. Maybe a little strawberries in there. The you know? new name. I'm dead. Um, But because Jean has a bit more of a parallel to Arudalin, she's the grandmaster. Well, she's acting grandmaster. And I have no doubt if Marker were to ever, you know, die. <laughs> 
speak it out and thus it must be. As acting grandmaster, she has more of the possibility of she'd just give up. Like, what's the point at that? Mm -hmm. She couldn't protect her friends. While Kaya, even though it's not romantic, Twitter, I'm going to look at you. Don't you fucking dare. Yeah, don't do it. (laughs) Don't Don't do do it. it, Please. incest. Keep it Um, clean, peoples, for us. Kaya (laughs) loves his brother, and they hate each other right now, but that does not negate their love as brothers. They were raised together, they're siblings, and I think if if D. Luke were to die, Kaya would lose his shit. Because not only did he lose his father and kind of destroy his relationship, if D. Luke dies before he can they can ever like fix their shit, I think it would break Kaya. I think he would go full abyss mage. Um, oh no, he just turns into an abyss mage. Oh no, his, his, leg, his legs would turn into little toothpicks. <laughs> oh my, I mean, the, we're already toothpicks. You go his legs and I'm thinking in my head, his legacy. He becomes an abyss mage. <laughs> oh With no. His handsome knight. <laughs> Two different approaches. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I could always put Jean in the La Senora category of like this parallel, but the person who always stays as Rostam is D. Luke. Mm-hmm. And that's because he talks so much about like, he is the wolf pup. What is D. Luke's number one, be- one of the best in slot swords for him? Wolf's gravestone. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of wolf motifs to a certain extent. There's a lot more in Eagle and Vanessa motifs with him, but he is that stern, that capable dude that mm, yeah. Rostam was. And they're He's... they're both Batman and mm-hmm. you know, are possibly both involved with the secret society. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And with Kaya and or Jean, like Jean definitely is more serious, but she can always be relaxed. Kaya's the one who's most relaxed. Um, <laughs> Kaya's just like, this is my life. <laughs> like, as long as I can have wine every night. Fuck yeah. Like, there's a striking parallel between these two trios and how, you know, kind of history fucks with them. Like, events out of their control is too coincidental that i think it's on purpose and i think it's done to the effect that history and the cataclysm fucked up everything that was senora's future and her past and her present it took rostam away she lost her shit and therefore everything that she could have been died maybe this is in a roundabout way la senora getting her happy ending with a parallel trio or do you think it's a negative foreshadowing of what's to come i didn't want to go there because my baby gene but i know and i'm a i love kaya and d luke so it's hard to say it is and like i I really like the Arundelin as Jean and Rostam as Dilu parallel, but I'm not so sold on the Kaya Senora one. Yeah, it's it's it throws me off because Jean really fits Arundelin and Diluc is Rostam. I almost feel like Senora is more Barbara. Oh, she's oh. she's hanging out in the town square singing, but she could snap at any moment. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Wow. Oh my god. It's true Actually. though. You're right. Oh yeah. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh shit. Okay. Well, <laughs> there is that trio too. You know that meme of Nahida doing like her mind reading thing on Paimon, and then Paimon like like the music gets really terrifying, and Nahida <laughs> gets really scared, and yeah. Paimon like holds her finger up like shh. I love to like imagine that, but it's Babs instead of Paimon. <laughs> oh she's t- she's actually the big bad. Right. <laughs> We've been playing the big bad the entire She's going to sell us out to the Saritza at some oh point. Oh my God. Or to the Sustainer of Heavenly Principles. <laughs> oh my God. But yeah, no, they, there's a lot of historical parallels of historic Genshin characters that are that are referenced in the timeline and present day Genshin characters and I always find it really interesting when we get to those parallels I'm like what is this telling us to foreshadow something dark or is it to kind of look at a parallel as in this is how it could have ended for them but unfortunately due to circumstances it didn't and that just makes me so, so much more interested in La Senora and her history because it's just, 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 
<laughs> tragic. And we love trauma here. We do. So like, get out your trauma binders. We're definitely more traumatized than the Fatui since oh, yeah. they only took like a half day off work. Oh my um, I mean, the Fatui were like, you know, <laughs> Polsonello was just like, they were going to die at some point. I love that Polsonello was just like, you know, we're all really sad. Yeah, maybe we should just stop stuff for a half day. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> like, take, take a pause. <laughs> take um, a pause. I don't even half mask the flag, man. I'm gonna hate myself for saying this. Oh God, don't you dare. Oh, I'm I'm daring. Oh no. So I really like this theory that you've come up with, Al. And I would just like to say that if we are stuck in a time loop. Or if this is some weird sea of quanta shit. <gasps> Don't you dare. I, that was like the first thing that came to mind just now as we were having this conversation. I, I was can't like, believe it. What? I, <laughs> I, neither can I. And I'm so excited. That was like the first thought in my head. How dare you go to the Honkai side? I, <laughs> I know. I know. I'm the worst. I mean, you're all going to end up there eventually. No. So you might as well so get used point. to it. I know. Y'all, y'all are all going to be making us watch Star Rail tonight, aren't you? <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> so um, I do think, though, on that note, that's all the time that we have for today. Did you guys want to add in any last minute quips about the Crimson Witch of Flames? I love her boobies. <laughs> I want her to come back because I want her to be playable. Or I want her to be the first dead playable character. Or like give us that feature that we we talked about before where we somehow get to go back and like experience stuff from history via Ermin Soul. Yeah. That would be great. That would be cool. That would be Maybe that is another reason with the anime. Maybe that's what they'll do. Do like time jumpy jumpies. That would be cool. Like a cool way for them to connect different points of the past. Yeah. And like go visit them. It would be really interesting. You know, I feel like every time we're like, oh, well, what about this? Or what about this? They come out of left field with something that makes us go, what the? (laughs) So who knows what they're going to end up doing, right? (sighs) But I do think that's all the time we have, travelers, for today. Thank you for talking a lot about Monsad history again. I feel like we come off so biased, but the Monsad history is so important in the end. So thank you for talking about Monsad once again. I'm sure we'll be talking about them again one day soon. (laughs) If you have any comments or thoughts about today's episode, please feel free to give us a a follow on Instagram. You can find us. We are Tales of Tavat Pod or on Twitter, Tales of Tavat, where you can tell us what you thought of today's podcast, what you liked, what you didn't like. Do you think we're in the sea of quantum? Do you think everything's a time loopy thing? What do what are your thoughts, travelers? We really do want to know. Additionally, you can send us an email, Tales of Tavat Pod at gmail.com. And we do want to remind everyone that we do have a coffee. So if you're interested in buying us a cup of coffee, you may do so as well, but no pressure, of course. Otherwise, travelers, safe journeys. We'll see you next time. R.I.P. Ashen Nerds. I'm dead. I'm dead.